question for us this morning. What are some things that you have seen practiced or banned in the name of the Christian faith that are loosely tied, if not connected at all, to Jesus? Things that you have seen practiced or banned connected to the Christian faith that have little or nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah, Laurie. No dancing. Why? No watching movies. Anything else connected that you've seen banned or practiced that really have nothing to do with scripture or anything? No drinking alcohol. Right. Jesus made wine. Yeah, Rob. No playing cards. Yep. What? That's an unusual one. That's very specific. Yeah. No Starbucks cups. Because no pants. Oh, dresses and skirts. Yeah, right. I had a friend who did that. Yeah. Anything? Head coverings. Yeah, in church, women should have long hair and head coverings. and Yeah. Dungeon and Dragons. What's that about? No playing it? Or you must play it? No playing it. <laughs> oh, no playing it. Okay. I guess connected with that is Harry Potter. Yeah. Harry Potter. Harry, yeah, Harry Potter, right? No, no Harry Potter. No Halloween, right? No Halloween. No rock music. Or Santa Claus. Yeah. We're really taking a lot of fun out of this. What else do we not? Are we not allowed to do? Must do, not do. I think, um, okay, so I'm going to tell you a little story, and you're going to tell me if this sounds familiar. But don't yell it out till the end, because not everyone's going to get it. Ren McCormick is a teenage boy who moves with his mother from a big city in Chicago to a small Midwestern town of Beaumont, Upon arriving, Wren finds himself at odds with most of the town, including the reverend, who has convinced the town <laughs> to outlaw dancing and rock music. The youth are being repressed, and Wren has to do something about it. This begins the plot for Footloose. Oh, wow, good job, everybody. <laughs> well done. Right? And it's so funny. And in, in the movie, you see this young boy get up and confront the, the reverend, the pastor, who's, who's brought the whole town together to make dancing illegal. And he gets up there. And interestingly, he uses the book of Ecclesiastes. There is a season under heaven for everything. And he uses scripture to kind of push back on this ban. Season under heaven for every new thing, right? A time for mourning and a time for dancing. So I went to a Christian college where dancing was forbidden and drinking alcohol was forbidden. And what else was forbidden? So many things. Uh, being in people's uh, floors and the opposite gender was forbidden. Um, 
I don't know, there were all these unspoken rules too also. Before I was there, it was the playing cards and movies were forbidden and then those got taken off, but we still couldn't dance. Only when I graduated was dancing no longer forbidden. I was very annoyed. It's like, of course. But there's, there's all these rules that we kind of place sometimes, cultural rules that really have nothing to do with Jesus or God or scripture. And we just kind of put it on top of our lives. And so today we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and we're looking at the early church. And in the early church were many different cultures, many different groups coming together. And some of the cultural pieces they carried brought rules and regulations that really had nothing to do with Jesus and the movement of the Holy Spirit and where God wanted to lead the church. And so in the early church, you had Pharisaic Jews joining the early church. You also had Samaritans joining the early church. You had people converting, like the Ethiopian eunuch, who was a foreigner. And then you had the first Gentile believer coming to join the church, Cornelius. And you have this really interesting interaction between Peter coming from a very solid Jewish background with this strong delineation between clean and unclean and clean food and unclean food and, and rules that were followed so religiously, right? Religious rules. This is what you must do to be right before God. And if you don't do these things, you're not right. You're unclean. And all of a sudden, in a vision, the Holy Spirit came and, and said, no, I'm going to push you on this. You need to go and meet with this person who's a Gentile. And so Peter went because of the Holy Spirit and this vision that he had. He was pushed into this encounter with Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion in the administrative headquarter of Caesarea, which was the Roman administrative capital for the oppression of the Jewish people. Interesting, right? Here's this guy who I want you to go and meet with. He was a God-fearer and he was uncircumcised. In every other way, his heart was right before God, but this uncircumcised aspect of his life made him unclean. So you see, all of a sudden, Peter is face to face with this Gentile man and he goes and eats with him and he stays in a house with him and this would have been crazy and unheard of. And so the Holy Spirit comes on Cornelius and his household like God is with this man. And so all of a sudden, Peter's like, this is the right answer. This is what I must do. The Holy Spirit has come and has shifted this for me. And so, but what's interesting is that immediately after, Peter is brought before the council in Jerusalem. What did you do? Not that Cornelius became a believer, but why were you eating with him? Interesting. This rule around eating that was brought up. Why are you eating with him? He is unclean. And this is this is Peter's response. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
And then the council accepts this new work of the Holy Spirit and they rejoice. So we have Gentiles, they're now in the mix. They are accepted, they're a part of this new early church. So this is the new stage of where things are in the book of Acts. And so we're going to jump into Acts 15. Before we do that, how about I pray for us? Jesus, would you meet with us here today? As we gather as your people and Holy Spirit, would you lead and direct us as we listen to your word? Would you speak to us this morning? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in Acts 15, how about I start reading? If you want to join me on the screen or look up in your Bibles or phones. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. And this is where new Gentile believers had kind of congregated here in Antioch. And were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the laws of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. So we have this really interesting shift. We have all these new Gentile believers in the church, but there's this additional piece. There's still this tension. They're not us. It's one thing to have them separate from us. But if you require them to be in community with us, they need to first do all the things we had to do. They're not really saved. And it's interesting because culture is so strong. Even when Gentiles are brought in, many Jews struggle to consider Gentiles as equal members in this new Christian faith, right? And you have feelings of superiority, cleanness versus uncleanness. They must do what we did, right? And you've got this interesting Pharisaic group, which makes a lot of sense, because they had over 900 rules that they followed very closely. And so for them, they were saved, but they were worth it, right? They were worthy of being saved. But these people are not worthy of being saved. They haven't done all the things we've done to earn this. And so you have this this weird division in the early church. They are not like us. They are not clean like us. And so that is the issue. And so they're going around causing confusion and mayhem in the early church. They're trying to persuade the Gentiles, first, you must become circumcised, First, you must be under the law of Moses. Then you might join us. And Paul refers to them very strongly in uh, Philippians, and he calls them mutilators of the flesh. He says, if you want to be circumcised so much, why don't you just go all the way? 
That's rough. Right? So the issue for the conservative Jews, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate. And it says in the New Living Translation, they argued vehemently. So my question is, why fight over this issue? Why do you think the early church, why do you think Paul and Barnabas were like, no? Why go and get the council together over this issue? What's at stake here? trying to separate, make the group become like them. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is scripture backing it, right? And they are following the law that God gave them. But all of a sudden, something shifted with Jesus. And they haven't quite let go of that. And it's about salvation. I think that's why Paul and Barnabas are like, no. Because in other places, you see there's flexibility around this rule. Paul has Timothy become circumcised as a Gentile believer. He is saved according to, you know, the gospel, but he still has him be circumcised so that he can interact with the Jewish people and the gospel message will continue. But here he's like, no. So that's an interesting flexibility, right? When it's salvation at hand, it's the core of what it means to be a believer in Jesus, at the core, at the center, that it's salvation through grace. And so you have Antioch send Paul and Barnabas to request a council decision. And it's interesting, at the beginning, there's, there's four real kind of views on this, on the Mosaic laws. And you've got the, who we will call the Judaizers or the conservative Pharisaical group, and they have this idea that you must obey the Mosaic laws, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. And that's the group that's kind of causing the confusion. Then there's also a group that says, you don't need to be circumcised, but you do need to follow a lot of the rules. You need to observe the dietary rules to be in community. And then you've got another group that says, no circumcision, no rules. And this is more Paul's perspective. Like these, these Mosaic laws are not integral, will obey them culturally in order that the gospel message might be shared, right? And then the fourth view would be there's no circumcision, no food laws, and there's really no lasting significance in practicing all these traditions, you're saved, right? All the little pieces of culture don't make you more saved. So that's kind of this idea of grace alone. Let's continue in verse 7. 
after much discussion, Peter got up, addressed them and said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. This is in regards to Cornelius, right? He's the first convert. So, And God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? Uh, and in the message, it says, why do you try to out-God God? I like that. By putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders he had done among the Gentiles through them. So here we have Peter speaking with spiritual authority in the church, apostle, disciple, chosen by Christ to lead. And Peter kind of lays out in his reasoning. He recounts, hey, God has already done something here. We, we've already made this, well, God already made the decision for us. With the Holy Spirit, Cornelius joined, right? And we've engaged and brought in all these Gentile believers. And interestingly enough, he wasn't circumcised and he still received the Holy Spirit. And this yoke of Moses, it did not work for us. And interestingly, the, Jesus and the disciples didn't follow all the rules of Moses. They picked grain on the Sabbath. They ignored ritual cleaning. Jesus was accused of eating with the unclean. They didn't fast. There was all this pushback on the rules and regulations of the time. And he warns the believers, don't put God to the test. And I wonder if for them that kind of brings up Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, they put God to the test. They were struck down, right? I wonder if it brings up the people of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years, putting God to the test. And, and we have Peter's final words in the whole gospel. It is by grace we are saved. Verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. And so here we have James, Jesus' half-brother, and he's chairing the council, a leader in the Jerusalem church. So you've got Peter as the apostle. He's doing a lot of traveling at this time. And so he's not always with the church in Jerusalem. So here's now James. And he says, brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, and he's referring to Amos 9 here, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, 
telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. And so we have James's reasoning. You've already heard about the experience that we've, we've all had. We know Cornelius. We know about all these Gentile people joining the church. The Holy Spirit is working. And then he interprets scripture. And he says, hey, and it's backed up. And it's not just now. This has been foretold. God told us this was coming. And he says, in final authority, it is my judgment that. And so he's like, let's lay this to rest right now. Concluding, the Gentiles should not have a yoke on them that is too heavy. When we think of yokes, we think of the words of Jesus. My yoke is not heavy, my burden is light, right? And so we have that kind of parallel there with yoke. It is not to be a deterrent from them seeking God. Circumcision isn't needed. You are not under the law of Moses. And the plan is these, these little different areas, these four things, abstain from sexual immorality, which is associated with idolatry, a part of worship, temple prostitutes, incest, adultery, also, don't marry close relatives because that would have been totally okay within the Gentile context. Don't marry your half-sibling or whatever else would have been connected with that. And abstain from food polluted by idols, which would have been offensive to the Jewish Christians, from meat strangled, from strangled animals, from blood. And again, idol worship would have been a very regular part of Gentile life it would have been connected with eating, political events, theater, trade guilds, civic celebrations. They all include food offered to idols. Animals without blood being let would have been sold in the market. So it would have been work to avoid this, right? But we want you to avoid it. Let's continue in verse 23. With them, they sent the following letter. So here we have the council met, they're sending these two individuals and they're sending a letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Here we have this fun public censure of them. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, who we approve of. You see kind of the distinction there? Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We really approve of them. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing, and we want you to believe them. Wow, we're getting some strong support for Paul and Barnabas here. And this, I think, is really central. Verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We'll come back to that. 
not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. So, why, if the people are not under the law, why are there all these rules? Why are these rules included? What do you think? Why abstain from eating food offered to idols? Particularly with this in mind, 1 Corinthians, this is Paul writing here. Food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Talking about Gentile believers in this instance. Food doesn't matter. That's not at the core of this. But if it gets in the way of unity... If it becomes an an issue, a stumbling block for your fellow believer, whether Gentile or Greek, um, Jew, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. So you abstain and you lay down your rights so that you might be in community. I mean, it's this very interesting decision that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. A decision made with discussion of scripture, a review, and exposure of like what God is already doing, and then with the Holy Spirit. You have these three areas. We look to scripture, we look to experience what's God doing right now, and then the Holy Spirit, it felt right that in this case, in this circumstance, we're going to ask you to follow these guidelines so that we can be together. And it's it's met with joy. So it felt right to them too to receive this letter and, and to receive, oh, is that all you're asking? Okay, we can do that for the sake of being together. So division is really easy. It's easy to be divided. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's an easy thing. It's an easy thing in the church. It's an easy thing in our culture. It's easy currently to just be like, I don't like it. I don't like them. I don't like this. I don't want to be near them. They're not like me. It's easy to be divided, right? And so you have all these Gentiles coming into the church, and there's still continued division. You have Greek and Hebrew widows who were both supposed to receive food. And the Gentile widows were not receiving food. That's shocking, right? That's that's purposeful neglect. You have the church in Corinth that was divided over which teacher was the best. We want Apollos. We think that Paul's correct. We think that Barnabas is correct. 
You've got them fighting over which Sabbath day to keep. We believe it's Sunday. We believe it's Saturday. You have some people eating a vegetarian diet and abstaining from meat because they know that the meat has been offered to idols. And you've got other Christians who eat everything. And they're like, it doesn't matter, it's just food, right? And so how do we, in the middle of this, knowing the church was struggling with this and they continued to struggle with this, how do we find unity as a body? Even today, over other issues, whether dancing or deck cards or what is our new issue? And so, and it's funny because we as followers of Jesus can still hold on to ideas that have nothing to do with Jesus. Because our culture goes deep. And we are asked to take on attitudes that are different in order to have unity. Attitudes of compassion, humility, looking to the interest of others. And we are asked to look at the things we have in common, which is Christ and the fact that we have the Holy Spirit with us as believers. And so in these areas of tension, there are some questions we can ask. What does Scripture say? Looking to Jesus. How did Jesus interact with all these different people? How did Jesus behave? What, what mattered to him? Uh, where is God already at work today? Maybe in ways that surprise us. Is God at work outside the church? Where? How do we join that work? How do we do the things that matter to the heart of God? And what is the Holy Spirit confirming? As we meet together, where do we feel led by God to engage in our world? And I think that's the thing. It's not just that we keep separate, but that we connect with others in relationship through Christ with the Holy Spirit. And I love this. Even in the story of Paul, change takes time. And I think about the life of Paul. He began with very strict Pharisaic guidelines. And he moved with the Holy Spirit to become the strongest advocate for Gentiles. Even Peter went on a journey of change. And he began with his first encounter with Cornelius. God said, no, go, interact, keep going, engage with this person that you don't like, because I like him do it. So he does it, and then later on, Paul has to reprimand him. You know how you said you love Gentile believers? Well, some people complained to you that you were eating with them, and you stopped eating with them. Who do you think you are? Who are you to listen to these people and change your behavior? God loves them. You need to love them too. Go eat with them. Reprimanded. And then towards the end, we see Peter has this deep friendship with Simon the Tanner. Talk about unclean. He is the most unclean. 
of the unclean. So unclean that he would have been made to live outside the city, right? Outside of, because of the smell and the animals and the mess. He goes through a transformation with the Holy Spirit and with other people saying, hey, what's going on here? Why, why do you think you're better? Why are you listening to people that aren't following God's heart? Let's take a moment to reflect this morning. What is it that God is saying to you? What do you, what do you draw from this word for unity? What do you draw from in terms of culture? Are there things that you're holding on to or that you're noticing in our church, that our church is holding on to, that are a barrier to people coming to Jesus? How do we unify around Christ? How are we led by the Holy Spirit? Let's take some time to just be in silence, and then after you feel like you have something that God is bubbling up, feel free to share with maybe one or two people around you. So let's just take some time. Okay, so we're going to be getting ready to uh, celebrate communion today in unity, together as the body of Christ, with people who love Jesus and are different than us, and that's good and right. And so today, as we come to celebrate communion, we're going to do it a little differently than usual, and we're going to have folks, we've just with, you know, being wise in regards to uh, Washington State and all that's going on up there. So we're going to um, have people serve you communion today who have washed their hands. And uh, we have little cups for you. And Todd, do you want to show people your implements? (laughs) I don't know how he's going to do the two spoons, but we're excited to see. Um, There are more tongs, by the way. So how about I pray for us before we come and celebrate? Jesus, we thank you so much for your deep love for us and the fact that you are so, so kind, that you extend to us such grace, even though we don't love each other well. So God, would you continue to shape us and grow us that we might express your love to everybody, including people in the church, people that we disagree with, would you help us to be unified and one just as you, God, are one?